0: all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good morning. morning. Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. But first, today is the day that we set aside several weeks ago to acknowledge and celebrate, really, those among us who have signed up to be covenant members of West Bowles Community Church. Hooray! Can I hear a hooray? And don't worry if you haven't yet had a chance to complete... And return your membership packets. They'll continue to be available in the lobby throughout the year. You can sign up anytime. Whether you are a current member or are considering membership for the first time, grab a packet if you haven't already, if you're so inclined, and consider renewing your membership or being a first-time covenant member of this here particular people of God for a year, this particular church. For those of you who have already done so, I'd like to congratulate you, so congratulations. We are so glad that you have decided to join us for this year at least in loving God and loving others and striving for unity in what we call our essentials of the faith and in participating in baptism, if you haven't experienced that already. Um, As mentioned in your bulletins, our next baptism class is in two weeks, March 14th. And then the baptisms will take place the following week during the services on March 21. And oh, we will use for the first time our brand new baptistry. Are you excited? Yeah. <laughs> Three of you are. So I guess, um, I guess that means if you're being christened, you get to christen the new baptistry. Sort of a, a, a two-for-one christening, ladies and gentlemen. What will we think of next, right? So congratulations, covenant members of West Bowles Community Church. I trust you will. I know you will. So help you, God. You will honor your commitment to love, unity, and baptism. So help you, God. And as we'll continue to see in Exodus, he definitely will. Speaking of Exodus, we are a couple of weeks into our current series on Exodus. One way to approach Exodus, the way that I've chosen to approach it, is to see it as God making his case to his people to freely choose to serve him. The book begs the question, whom will you serve? And God makes his case in Exodus to the people of Israel then, and he makes the case in Exodus to us today again. God makes his case in this amazing book for people to choose to serve Him. And among the things we've seen in Exodus of God's case for choosing Him is that God demonstrates that He and He alone is the Creator and the Creator who loves us. And we've also seen that God is intensely and again lovingly interested in. Lifting up ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You remember Shiphrah and Puah from two weeks ago if you were here. So God is the creator. He is life. And God cherishes ordinary people, warts and all. Two great reasons already for Israel and for us to choose to serve God. And so let's see this morning if we can add a bit. To our growing list of God making his case for people to choose to serve him. As you may recall, we left the action in Exodus 2 on the banks of the Nile River where Pharaoh's daughter draws a baby out of a floating basket and names him Moses. This morning, I'm going to try and cover a little ground this morning over two chapters, oh my word, actually oh God's word. And I'll pause here and there to highlight a few things. But um, you're going to need to strap your waiters on, and I need to have some excitement. Are you ready to strap on and dive in and work through some of God's Word this morning? Amen? Amen. Well, ready or not, here we go. Let's pick up the story there, beginning in Exodus 2, verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, this is some 40 years later, in a few English words, we've already gone 40 years. He went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? This question no doubt foreshadowing a deep concern Moses has in front of the burning bush, as we'll see in a minute. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock." When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. That's that Near Eastern, Middle Eastern, Eastern hospitality. I'm sure the father was mortified that his daughters didn't think to invite Moses for some food and some hospitality. Verse 21. And Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah it means really fast and he, no it doesn't mean mute. Really Sorry. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Well, that's quite the hospitality gift of a party, isn't it? told you, Eastern Hospitality is renowned. There you have it. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt did what all great and powerful people do. He died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Whew, the narrative really moves along over these 15 verses, doesn't it? Forty years just sail by. The purpose of including this story is certainly to carry the story to inform the reader how on earth Moses got from Egypt to Midian to Horeb, or Mount Sinai, which is the setting of chapter 3. But the three incidents quickly described and resolved in this section also give us insight into Moses' character and foreshadows why Moses is indeed the right man for the job that God has for him. In short... In each incident, Moses' spirit rebels against the abuse of the weak by the strong. First, a Hebrew slave abused by an Egyptian. Next, a Hebrew bullied by another Hebrew the Bible is careful to tell us was in the wrong. And last, Moses comes to the rescue when some roughneck shepherds try and push aside a group of girls who were first in line at the well. Well, and we see in these verses that Moses is an excellent choice to rescue God's oppressed and abused people. Moses shares God's empathy for the oppressed. He shares God's desire to come to the rescue. Almost can't help but do it at the very sight of injustice. And this brings us to Exodus chapter 3 and the very famous story of Moses and the burning bush. And maybe that story went a little bit like this.
1: Welcome to What's
0: Your Excuse? Where contestants give their best excuses for everyday dilemmas. Now please welcome your host,
2: Fred
3: Gothier.
2: Thank you. Thank you. All right. No, really. Thank you. You're too kind. You're too kind. All right. Here we go. Welcome to What's Your Excuse? What we're going to do here, we're going to have three contestants competing, seeing who can come up with the best excuses. Be the champion of excuses, right? Okay. Well, I won't waste any more time. Let's go ahead and meet these contestants. Help me welcome Emily. First up, Emily, tell us a little bit about yourself. (laughs)
4: <laughs> ah, I'm really excited to be here I'm just so excited Hi honey ah!
2: Oh so you're married
4: Yes Oh silly man I forgot um, Yes I'm married um, To a wonderful man Is he the most handsome <laughs> no. no They can't They all can't look like you Brett <laughs> Um <laughs> Oh is he the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree? mm no. But he sure does have a heart of gold. <laughs> and um, let's see, <clears throat> I've got three beautiful children and I just have so many friends and um, I always have to make excuses for them, so I'm totally gonna win. Yay!
2: <laughs> okay, well, let's move right along. Hey, good luck to you. Let's move on to the second contestant. Help me welcome Nathan. Nathan, tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Um, I'm Nathan and I'm 29 and I live with my mom and dad and I eat Cheetos and grape juice and I watch reruns of Stay by the Bell I like to say what would Zach do and I'm unemployed I'm holding for a management (laughs) position
2: Well Nathan, let me say this to you you're going to make some company extremely lucky one day. <laughs>
3: Thank you. Uh,
2: all right, moving on. Third and final contestant. Help me welcome Moses. Moses, tell us a little
1: bit about yourself. Well, I uh, was born in Egypt, raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. Later on, found out I was Hebrew. Uh, kind of caused a midlife crisis, if you will. <laughs> got in trouble with the law, had to run for my life, got married, had a couple kids. You know, pretty standard. Well, great, thanks. I... Oh, and I also forgot, I went back to Egypt, brought down some plagues on the country, led the slaves out of slavery to the edge of the Promised Land. So I think that pretty much sums it up. Wow, that is... Uh, that and is I wrote a... the first five books of the Bible.
2: Can we move on? Okay,
1: and let's... I did that whole Ten Commandments thing. Okay.
2: okay, Moses. Moses, we get it. You're an important person. Give it a rest, okay? Poor Nathan over here. Poor Nathan over here can barely walk and talk at the same time. And I have no idea what's rattling around inside Emily's head.
1: (laughs) I would also like to point out that I actually talk to God face to face. Seriously. Okay.
2: You probably interrupted him too, didn't you? Yep. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, let's move along here, people. Let's play. What's your excuse? Here we go. Emily, you're first up, but let me first off start by reading our categories today. Here we go. Categories are annoying friends. Why did I marry him? The family visit. Ring, ring, ring. One more mouth to feed. And finally, when God speaks. You're first up. Which one would you like, Emily?
4: (laughs) Excited. Um, Well, I really do love talking on the phone. So let's go with ring, ring, ring.
2: All right, here it is. Ring, ring, ring.
4: Hello, who's there? (laughs) I got you. Okay. Can we play the
2: game? Here we go. Here's the scenario, Emily. The phone rings, you answer it. On the other end is a solicitor asking you if you would like to save some insurance, save some money on insurance. What do you say? A, I'm sorry my mommy isn't home right now. B, I'm on the no call list, moron. C, quit calling me at home, Mr. Burns. I said no. (laughs) Or D, shh. I think they're home. When they ask who, tell them it's the people who live here. Then hang up abruptly. Which one do you want?
4: Those are all really good excuses. They really are. But you know what? I'm going to have to go with A. I'm sorry. My mommy is at home right now.
2: (laughs) Okay. That is a great answer. That's going to score you... 40 out of 100 points. Great job. Let's give a hand to Emily. Great job, Emily. All right. It wasn't the best answer, though. The best answer was B. That would have scored you 100 points, but you're off to a good start. So let's move on to our next contestant. Nathan, you're up. Which one do you like?
3: Um, The family visit.
2: You ready? The family visit. Here's the scenario. Your mother mentions to you that your great Aunt Eleanor would like to come visit you for a week. What do you say? A, great idea, Mom. Unfortunately, I'm allergic to mothballs. B, I'd love to, but my fish is deathly afraid of strangers. C, Aunt Eleanor? Is she
3: still alive?
2: D, I'm sorry, did you say something?
3: Are you saying, is Aunt Eleanor here? She's my favorite. One time she told me I wouldn't get so many nosebleeds if i just keep my fingers out of there. And then another time we were playing hide and seek and she said, Nathan, you go hide and I'll count. And then after two hours, I realized she wasn't counting. And I said, you're supposed to count. And she turned up the volume on the TV and it was funny.
2: Nathan, I can tell this is painful. Let me take you out of your misery. That has nothing to do with it. I don't think you understand. I had no idea you really have an Aunt Eleanor. This is a game show. It's part of the game.
3: So she's not here?
2: Nathan, she's not here. And forget it. We're moving on. You're done. Okay? You're a jerk. (laughs) On to our third contestant. Moses, you're up. Which one would you like?
1: Well, uh, since I've actually had a one-on-one confab with the big man himself, I'm going to pick when God speaks. You really don't ever
2: give it a rest, do you? Nope. Okay. Well, here we go. Here's your scenario. God appears to you in a burning bush to ask you to lead his people to Egypt. What do you say? A, who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? B, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? C, I'm not very good with words, I get tongue-tied. Or D, look out, there's a lion behind you. When God looks, run the other way. (laughs) Last but not least, E, yes Lord, I will go.
1: Well, Brett, uh, I can tell you from firsthand experience, you would think A, B, and C would go over really great. Uh, they don't work so much. Um, e, I don't know why anyone were in their right mind would say that one. So I'm going to go D. Uh, look, there's a lion behind you, and then uh, run the other way. Because that's a good one. I never thought of doing that before. Okay, so let me get this straight.
2: You think telling the all-knowing God that created the lion that there's one standing behind him, mm. that it's going to scare it.
1: Good call, Brett. Um, You know what? I'll switch it to elephant, because that would totally throw him off. He would totally go for that one.
2: Wow. God really can use anyone. Nathan, there might be hope for you yet. Okay. Okay, let me get the tally on that answer. That's going to score you 10 points. The correct answer was E. Yes, Lord, I'll go. All right? All right all the time we have today for What's Your Excuse? Emily, shockingly enough, you are a winner. Somebody has to win. There's that old saying, a clock is right two times a day, right?
4: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not, Brett. It just blinks on 12. (laughs) Okay,
2: here we go. Well, hey, thank you so much for being here on What's Your Excuse? Remember what we always say. If you're not making excuses, you're not trying hard enough. Thank you.
0: Now, that's a hard act to follow. Um, Exodus chapter 3, ladies and gentlemen. Um, sort of. One version of it anyway. Maybe we, should, uh, maybe we should read the Bible's telling of the story, too, just in case. Exodus chapter 3. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. You can use Horeb and Sinai interchangeably in the text. Uh, It's either two words for the same thing. Some have said one is a range, the other is a peak in the range. Uh, But Horeb and Sinai are synonymous. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought... I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In verse 11, Here I am suddenly becomes, Who am I? It's very clever of of the author, Moses, to have and record him saying back to back, Here I am. And the next, who am I? An attitude shift in Moses seems evident. Moses is quiet during God's opening statement, if you will. And he doesn't speak up until a certain comment in particular that God makes gets a rise out of him. Allow me to paraphrase this opening part of God's conversation with Moses. The discussion goes something like this. God says... I have heard my people crying because of their slave drivers. Moses. Good. I'm glad you hear it too, God. And I have come to rescue them. Great. It's about time, God. And I'm going to give them this amazing land. Awesome, God, that's fantastic. And so I'm sending you crap. (laughs) Can we relate? Have you ever had that response or felt that response when it's clear to you what God wants you to do, but you'd rather not because it's hard or it sounds impossible? And the next verse gives us our next item on our list of God making His case for us to choose to serve Him. In verse 12, God says, I will be with you. And you know, it's unfortunate really that when we make so much out of Jesus' promise to the disciples in the Great Commission to be with them, as we should, but it's unfortunate we fail to realize sometimes that Jesus, he's merely restating and echoing the promise that God made to Moses in Exodus 3. God has always been a God that is with the people he commissions, with Moses, with the disciples, and with us what a great reason to choose to serve God. He's with us. Verse 11, and now the excuses just cascade from Moses. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. It's kind of a funny sign for Moses then that God is with him, isn't it? It's like after you've done. Here's a sign that I'm going to be with you in this. After you've done it all and bring them back here, you'll worship with me on this mountain. I don't know if God has a little sense of humor there or not, but uh, here's the sign: when you do it all and come back, you'll worship me on this mountain. Moses said to God. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God." "'But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave you will not go empty-handed.' Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. But Moses, even after all of that, is still concerned that his own people will not accept him as a leader. So God gives him three signs to show the people he's legit. That God actually sent him. And we're left to guess exactly what these particular signs mean. The Bible doesn't tell us. But probably something more than just random displays of power is probably going on. Let's take a brief look at them. First, there's Moses' staff, his stick. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me? And say, The Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? A stick, he replied, a staff. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Can you just see it? Ah! Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. No, I'm not a snake handler. But I think I know enough. Where don't you want to try to pick a snake up by? Yeah, you'd want to pick it up by the end that's going to get you, don't you? This took some faith on Moses' part. But Moses reached out, took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Now, what of this sign? A rod or a staff in the Bible, a stick, is frequently emblematic of royalty and power and authority, like a king's scepter. And in Egypt in particular, Pharaoh sometimes held a serpent's staff in their hands. In fact, the sacred cobra was a patron god of Egypt. And pharaohs even wore a stylized cobra on their headpiece or crowns, right on their foreheads, as a symbol of an imperial sovereignty and a warning against any enemies who would oppose Pharaoh. So perhaps Moses' serpent staff would suggest to the people of Israel that Moses had such authority, he would be able to handle the mighty power of the Egyptian crown. We'll look at a story in a few weeks where Moses' stick actually eats Pharaoh's stick. Remember that story? Moses' stick swallows Pharaoh's stick while both are snakes, of course. I'm sure the symbolism of that event wasn't lost on anyone. Next sign, verse 6. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now... Put it back in your cloak, he said. So Moses put his uh, hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. Now the significance of this sign with the hand, probably the most debated among scholars, and so we're really just guessing. We know it's not really leprosy. It's a different word in Hebrew than what's used here, tassarat. But whatever the specific disease, the word shows up in the Bible frequently in connection with divine displeasure over human offense, human actions. So maybe the sign serves the purpose of showing Israel that God is not pleased with the offense that Pharaoh has against them and indeed has the power to do something about it. Some have also suggested the sign might be one to get Israel's attention, that she better accept Moses or risk God's displeasure. And still others see it as a foreshadowing or a warning to Moses himself that he's getting a little bit closer to the moment of God's impatience with his continued evasion to the call of leadership. I I don't know about that last one. It it cracks me up a bit. It means God kind of has a wry sense of humor, right? So you're continuing to refuse to fulfill your destiny, huh? You know, don't! You know, know, I'm not going to stay in this bush forever. Uh, We're not really sure. The last sign, we're almost positive with its symbolism. It seems obvious at least. Verse 8. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they believe the second But if they do not believe those two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. The Nile is the lifeblood of Egypt. And through this sign, Israel would see that God has the power and authority to impose His will on creation. And then through creation or nature, God can impose His will upon Egypt. So maybe now Moses is done with his excuses, now that he has three signs of being legit. Well, not quite. Still another excuse. Verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to Moses, said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Now you'd think that Moses would take the hint from maybe a slight change in God's tone in verse 11. I mean, God starts asking a series of rhetorical questions You know, questions that speak for themselves and really aren't meant to be answered. And then God simply says, now go, I'll help you. But instead, Moses decides to make one excuse too many. You know the ones, the ones that as soon as they're out of your mouth, you want to ask, ooh, can I take that one back? So Moses says in verse 13, Oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, presumably from Egypt. I wonder if Moses even knew. And his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you. And it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. And so Moses and Aaron make their way back to Egypt. They meet with the elders of Israel. They perform the signs before the people. And we read in verse 31 that the people believed and they bowed down and worshipped God. Whew! That's a lot of Scripture this morning. How are we doing? All right. Are you with me so far? It's a pretty fascinating story, isn't it? Now we've already added to our list... Uh, one new thing this morning to our growing list of how God makes his case in Exodus for us to choose to serve him. God is with us. And with the time left this morning, I'd like to consider two more briefly. First, there's this issue of God's name. God giving Moses and the people of Israel his divine personal name, which is also known as the tetragrammaton, which sounds like something out of the movie Transformers, but it's not. It just means the four letters, the ones you see in English on the screen, Y-H-V-H. I'm not going to speak it out of respect for our Jewish friends who respect God's intimate name so much, they won't speak it out loud at all. They don't even want to risk using it in vain. But most of you, I'm sure, recognize the English word that I've added on the screen, which includes the vowels, for God's personal name he gives to Moses. <clears throat> and so God's response to Moses' question, what is your name, is, in Hebrew, God says, which is simply the verb to be, aya, repeated twice in first person singular, I am, connected with the relative particle assure, which is is. And it could be translated into English as any one of the following. I am that I am. I am who I am. I will be what I will be. Or I am who I will be. And there are a few more possibilities like that, but you get the idea. The personal name of God, using those four big English letters that we just discussed, that's simply the third person form of the verb to be. He is, rather than I am. If naming God or calling his name, you wouldn't call him I am, because it would seem like you're talking about yourself. You would name God by saying, he is, third person. Lots of grammar this morning, isn't it delightful? Look at you English majors out there in the room just glowing, right? Okay, incidentally, you now understand a little bit more the weight of Jesus in the New Testament throwing around all of those I am statements and attaching to I am symbols and things reserved for God. No wonder the Sadducees cried blasphemy. Problem they had is it's not blasphemy to claim you're God if you really are. That's a different sermon. Here's the point of God's name in Exodus, or one point I think is a main one in context this morning, and it leads to another item on the list of God making his case for us to choose to serve him. The fact that God's name is the verb of being, he just is, I think speaks to the fact that God is faithful. The translations of his name being, I am who I am, I am who I will be, I will be what I will be, all speak to God's faithfulness. He's not going anywhere. He's not going to change his mind. He is not, unlike all of those Egyptians' gods, God is not arbitrary or fickle or wishy-washy. Israel didn't have to worry about where God is or where he stands, and neither do we. Because who our God is, God is a God who relentlessly has our back. God himself is our wingman, and he's not going anywhere. Immediately after God promises Moses, I will be with you, God gives Moses his name. I am who I am, and I am who I will be. In other words, Moses, you have nothing to fear, because I got your back, Moses. Maybe that's what angers or frustrates God a bit when, when Moses doesn't seem to appreciate fully what it means to have God Almighty as a wingman. All right, take Aaron as a wingman. You can see and touch as a reminder that I myself am indeed your wingman. Maybe God is even thinking, I, I can't wait until Jesus is born And I myself will be the wingman my people can see and touch. God is faithful. He's got our back no matter what. What a great reason to choose to serve him last. The story of the burning bush is, of course, inundated with Moses' excuses. They dominate the narrative together with God's responses. And while we feel, perhaps, when we read it, Oh, come on, Moses! Moses! And while we had some fun with Moses' excuses in the form of a game show, there's something beautiful here revealed about our God. And it's another reason to choose to serve Him. God listens to us. It makes a difference to Him what we have to say. He's patient with us. I suppose I could have brought a message this morning that went more like this. Hey, what's your problem? What's your excuse? The God of the universe is our wingman. Hello? What are you waiting for? Are you just lazy? What's your problem? What's your excuse? Truth is, you have no excuse. You are without excuse. You are excuseless. What's your excuse? Get off your butts. Let's go! And while there may be an element of that lesson, I suppose, in this story, God does finally say, enough, Moses, it's time to act. I think there's more foundationally and intentionally a much gentler picture of our God here. Not so much, what's your excuse? What's your problem, ingrates? But more like, hey, what's holding you back? Let's, Let's talk. What are you struggling with? Pull up a bush and tell me all about it. I'd love to help you. Just say the word, and I will. The almighty God of the universe has the patience and the love and the empathy to sit in a fire, in a bush, and believe me, in the middle of a nowhere desert, and to just listen for as long as it takes. God's so awesome like that. We'll ask Moses one day, but I wonder if he wrote this narrative in the way he did with that in mind. He certainly doesn't make himself the hero here. He makes God the hero. Why? Because God hears him, listens to him, responds to what he's struggling with, is patient with him, and helps him where he's weak. And the author almost seems to write in a way to intentionally make the reader feel impatient with Moses. Do you notice that when you read it or when I read it? We tend, as we read, to become impatient with Moses and all of excuses. Are you kidding me, Moses? Moses despite our impatience, God hangs in there with him, takes his questions, answers them, gives him promises of help and reassurance in the process, gives him signs of power. And even when God finally gets angry, long after I would have gotten angry if I were God sitting in that bush, even after God gets angry, God still offers help. do you notice that? i don 't know when, you, when I read it first and I felt it again this morning, maybe you did too. it 's like, and now god 's anger burned against Moses. What did you thinking was going to come next? But it doesn't, despite being angry. God still offers help. God is so awesome like that. Okay, take Aaron along. I'll give you a wingman you can see and touch. I'll work through both of you, Moses. How's that? God hears us and is patient with us. What a great reason to choose to serve Him. God is the one and only Creator God, and He loves us. God loves to lift up the ordinary to do extraordinary things. God is with us always. And God is faithful. He has our back. And God actually hears us, listens to us, responds to us, is patient with us, hangs in there with us, offers to help us in our weakness, if we just say the Word. All great reasons to choose to serve Him. And so, whom will you serve? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for the Bible and we thank You for this book in it. And we thank you that in Exodus, Father, you took the time, not only with Moses at a burning bush, but you took the time in this amazing time of liberating Israel to reveal to Israel and now to us who it is we're being asked to choose to serve. And oh, Father, you are just remarkable. Thank you for revealing Yourself to us in this way. Help us, Father, to respond with the choice to indeed serve You with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, as Your Son commanded us to do. We love You, and in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Would you stand, please, for God's benediction, His good words. You know these words as Shema from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, hear, O West Bowles, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace. We'll see you next week. God bless you all.